0: as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. I invite you to stand as you're able, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. People of God, this is the holy Word of the Lord to you, His people. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make us like little children, willing and able and desperate to hear your word. We pray that you would make that word clear, even as it is preached this morning. If you've ever been to Kings Island, um, you'll know a bit about the experience of which I'm going to tell you. How many of you used to go to, you know, Kings Island or an amusement park when you were a little child? You know, maybe in your, you know, when you were five or six or seven, you went, you went to Kings Island, and. I remember a specific time when I went to Kings Island and I was so excited because I heard I heard of an, um, a roller coaster called the Diamondback Coaster. This is amazing uh, ride. It's one where your feet hang out while you're um, you're you're going all around that magnificent roller coaster, and your stomach is lurching and just a wonderful um, experience. But. You know, then you, you get to the amusement park and you walk up to the line and you wait in that line and, and when you just, you're, you're filled with excitement and you get to the point where you're just about to step onto the coaster, you see that sign, you must be this tall to ride this roller coaster. You must be this tall to ride the Diamondback and you look up at that sign towering over you and you see the intimidating uh, worker Who's right behind that side, making sure no one tries to slip by, and you see the look, the stern look he's giving you, and what do you do? You just slink off in disappointment. Isn't that just the worst? When you come with all that excitement and, and then you have to walk away in disappointment. Cannot ride the Diamondback coaster. Well, in our passage this morning, something like that happens. Children are getting close to Jesus. They're drawing near. But the disciples are like those those workers, those guys at the amusement park who stand in front of him with a sign. You must be this tall to approach the Savior. You must be this age if you want to sit on Jesus' lap. Where are we in the book of Luke as we come to this passage? Jesus... Is leading us step by step towards Jerusalem. We need to remember this. In fact, you know, in just about three or four more sermons, we'll arrive with Jesus in Jerusalem with that great triumphal entry. But until that point comes, Jesus is teaching us something very important about the kingdom of God. He's been doing it over and over and over again, whether we've realized it or not. I've tried to put it out. What's he been doing? He's been teaching us. What we need to know to become part of God's kingdom, His great mission to a world in need. what does it look like for someone to become part of God's kingdom? And he's given us several unlikely members of that kingdom, some unlikely pictures of what it looks like to enter the kingdom. He showed us a persistent widow before a great and powerful judge. And then he showed us a tax collector. Remember several weeks ago to to that sermon in which we saw the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you saw the great religious authority in Jesus' day. But Jesus says, no, don't look to him. Don't look to that prideful man to see a citizen of my kingdom. Look to the tax collector with his humility, with his penitence, and the prayer that he prays. And so, we come at last to a third representative of the kingdom, and it's the most unlikely place in which someone might look in Jesus' day. It's a group of children. Now, what could children teach us about the kingdom of God? What could they possibly offer? as As we ask that question, what does it look like to become part of God's kingdom? And it turns out children have a great deal to teach us about God's kingdom. In fact, if we miss children, if we don't really look at them and understand them, then we overlook the key, the key to being part of God's kingdom. And so we're going to look at this in two points. We're going to look at uh, welcoming the children from this passage, and then we're going to look at becoming children in this passage. Welcoming children, becoming children. Okay, so so let's picture the scene. What is the scene like that unfolds for us in these two simple verses? Well, the scene begins with a world of adults. Picture the world of adults. It's a world of Pharisees and tax collectors, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles, and people discussing matters of theology around Jesus. Big words being exchanged. And all around uh, wherever Jesus is, there's commerce taking place and, and, and the movement and the shuffles of a world filled full of grown-ups. And it's, it's into that world that we hear, the cry of a child. and then another, and then another. And Luke tells us that parents start to rush over to Jesus with their children. He says this is happening over and over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry. These interruptions into the the, the grown up world of Jesus' day. The cries and, and, and the giggles of little children. And Jesus says, we're not just talking here about toddlers, we're talking about infants. Luke goes out of his way to say these are uh, the smallest of children, newborns, and, and even, uh, the word even includes children who are still in the womb. That's what we're talking about here. Yes, toddlers, but also infants and newborns and those in the womb. And what do we see happen right away? Well, you we see the disciples doing what they do so often. They just mess it up. They get it wrong. They move in to stop the children. And so you see uh, them become like bouncers. You see the disciples become like, uh, like those workers at uh, King's Island you know, sweeping it. You must be this old if you want to get close to Jesus. Now why would they do that? Well in this culture children were better seen and not heard. We see that a little bit today. But we especially, that was especially clear in ancient days. Children were considered better seen and not heard. Children were only appreciated for the usefulness to society. Much like today, abortions were extremely common. But they went went even beyond that and um, something was extremely common. It was called infanticide. Taking little infants and you know, perhaps a girl was born and they wanted a boy, they would would leave the little girl out in the wilderness to die. In the Roman society around the disciples, this isn't specifically the Jewish society, but in the Roman society, if you wanted to, uh, if you were a child, if you were to become part of a family, there had to be an official ceremony in which the father acknowledged you and said, yeah, I'll take you in as my own. Even if you were a, a biological child, of that father, there had to be that recognition. Yeah, you're 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 one of my children. And so, you know, in the, in the greater Roman society, but also in the Jewish society around Jesus, children were just not appreciated. In fact, the disciples see them coming and they say, "Now, you know, Jesus has to do the classic political thing and you know, have the, have at least one uh, photo op with a baby." kissing the baby's forehead. Um, But after that, they're just a waste of his time. He's a busy man. He's got places to be, important people to talk to. And so they start to push the children away from Jesus and, and steer away these parents that are pressing in on the Savior. But look at the heart of Jesus for the little ones in this passage. Look at what he does. Look at how he welcomes them. We get, we get here a picture of the tender, loving, welcoming heart of Jesus. The first thing he does is he rebukes the disciples. He says, "What, what do you think you're doing? You've got it all wrong. And then he brings those children close. He pulls them in. He prays for them. He lays hands on them. And Mark even goes out of his way to say... He blesses those children. He blesses them. See, children aren't a waste of Jesus' time. They're exactly the kind of people that he wants to be spending time with. That's who children are. Let me make a quick adjustment here. I apologize. It's not going to happen. (laughs) All right. Children are exactly the kind of people that Jesus wants to be spending time with. And so what what do we have here? What's the point? What's the point that Jesus is getting at? Receipt with him welcoming these little ones. The point is that children are part of the community that God is forming. Whatever else this passage says, it at least is saying this, that God includes little children. Yes, even our little children in the reality of his kingdom. We're going to see how these kids are an example of the kingdom. But don't miss this. They're not just an example. He's actually blessing those children giving them the priestly blessing, welcoming them tangibly to, to sit with him, laying his hands upon them. This isn't the only place that we see in the scriptures where, where children are part of that community that God is forming. 2 Timothy 3.14, we hear Paul say, remind Timothy that from childhood, from infancy, he was acquainted with the sacred writings that were able to make him wise wise, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then we hear in Ephesians 6.1, Paul says to our little ones, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So the whole scriptures, from beginning to end, assume what Jesus is doing right here, that children are part of that community, the kingdom that God is forming. Now this has a huge huge impact on how we think of our little ones, doesn't it? What does it mean? Well, first, it means that kids kids need to come to Jesus. Our kids need to come to Jesus. Kids, you know, if, if there were many kids here, I, I, you know, what I'd what I remind them is that kids are supposed to come just as they are. Children, you don't have to pretend to be a grown-up when you talk to Jesus. You don't have to use big words. Jesus loves to talk with you, and he loves to hear you talk to him just in the ways that, that, that are normal for you to talk. He loves to come uh, for you to come to him and tell him what's important to you. You don't have to dress yourself up. Now, that's an important lesson for adults, too, is come as you are to Jesus. He welcomes you as you are. And parents, this is also rich with meaning for you. What does it mean for you today that Jesus welcomes children into his presence and and uses them as part of his, his kingdom? Well, it means this, that you must bring your children to Jesus. What do we have in this passage? We have for us just this beautiful picture of what parenting is all about. You you want to get the, the, the most perfect image of parenting in the scriptures? It's this one. It is this, that parents, you are ambassadors with an incredibly important task. You must take your children where they're at and you've got to get them to Jesus. You've got to put them before the Savior so that they behold him. That's the picture of parenting. You know, Parents are so uh, so common. Parents are focused on, on uh, making getting uh, uh, children before the things that they care most about. Being uh, recognizing how they are responsible for their children and uh, their children, and so they they want to raise children how they were raised. But you know what Jesus says? That you are first and foremost not owners of your children. You are ambassadors responsible for taking your children and presenting them with the Savior, just as we see in this passage. What does that mean today? Well, you might have expected this to come from a Presbyterian minister, um, but I I think it starts with bringing your children to baptism. I know there's nothing explicitly in this text about baptism. I'm, I'm recognizing that. There's nothing about baptism in this text. But as a Presbyterian minister, I can't help but but recognize the resonance between this passage and what happens in baptism. What happens when we baptize a child? Well, we recognize that it's God who reaches in with his promise. And he, uh, just as Jesus placed his hands upon those children, God lays his promises upon uh, upon children, our children with water. Saying, As surely as these promises come to you, so surely if you come by faith in Christ, you will know the glories of this Savior. You will belong to this Savior. And so we're called to bring our children in baptism. I know that one, that one is, we'd have to look at other passages to fill that in, other passages from Scripture. I just want to at first, uh, first show you the resonance with what I see in this passage and what I see with what is happening in baptism. But it, there is so much more than that. Because children, parents are called to bring children to church. Bring their children to the assembly, the gathering of believers, where Christ gathers with us and shares his presence in a special way with us. You say but my baby is so distracted, but he, you know, my baby cries and, and, and gets, gets out of control. Well, you know, we recognize we've got a, nur- a nursery to help out with that, but, but I, I can assure you, um, I think many of us will agree with this, that parents are often way more worried about their children crying and, and what other people think than we are about their crying Children belong in our service. They do. Children belong in church where where Christ welcomes them and and preaches words to them. If I'm not preaching sermons that, that can connect on some level with the child and bring the basic message of the text to the child, then I'm doing something wrong. And finally, parents must tell their children about Jesus, teach them the good news. Tell them that that good news is for them. Call them. Call children to turn away from their sins and to the Savior. We don't assume that just because Jesus welcomes and just because he includes these children in his kingdom that they don't need to constantly be reminded that they have to come by faith to the Savior. And so that needs to be a reminder that parents should evangelize their children and disciple their children. And parents must repent of all those ways that they hinder their children from coming to the Savior. What are some ways that parents hinder or put up obstacles in the way of children coming to the Savior? Well, first, parents need to listen to Ephesians 6.4, which says, "...as fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." Parents can get in the way of their children coming to Jesus by nitpicking them, and by pestering them, and by overwhelming them, and by expecting a perfection of them that they don't even expect of themselves. You ever seen that happening? Maybe maybe you experienced that with your own upbringing. And if you see yourself sliding into that, you need to turn away from that. You need to repent of that. And you need to approach your children with the same tender-hearted care that Jesus approaches these children in this passage. Meeting them at their level, loving them, being patient with them. We hinder children from coming to Jesus when we neglect their growth in grace, when we don't take the time to pray with them, when we don't take time to read the scriptures and, and, and discipline them. And discipline them in such a way that shows them God's loving care and concern for their sin and their wayward hearts. And finally, we hinder our children when we live hypocritically, when we live lives that, that show them a message that says, Yeah, I tell you one thing about the Savior, but then I'm living out another message. You know what that does? That can just that can just make a child so bitter. and and uninterested in the matters of the faith, that you actually become a means of them them going in a wayward direction and walking away um, from the truths of the gospel. And Jesus says he takes that very, very seriously. And church members, this passage, the weight of this passage comes to all of us. I want you to hear that all of us bear the responsibility of welcoming children into Christ's presence. All of us bear the responsibility of, of getting low and humbling ourselves and having conversations with, the, with the, um, those members here at the church, who our little children. When's the last time that you took a moment to talk with a child? When's the last time that you took, took a moment to ask them, what they're learning, what they learned in the sermon, how they're doing, what they like, what they enjoy. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if people who visited our church said about our church, you know, I'll say one thing about them. They really love children. They love them. It reminds me of Jesus in Luke 18, when he welcomed the children. We we should strive for that. And so, friends, this passage calls you to welcome children, but that's not all. Because this passage calls you to become children. Children are part of God's kingdom, but get this. They're also models and examples of what it means to be in the kingdom. Verse 17. Jesus says this. Whoever does not enter the kingdom of God like a child cannot enter it. What do little children do that models the kingdom so well? What are we supposed to imitate as we look at little children running about or or little children held in the the arms of their mothers? Is it their innocence? You know, I chuckle at that as I even say it because... (laughs) It only takes a few moments with the child to know that they aren't innocent. <laughs> I mean, there's a way in which they, they, they have a kind of innocence about them. But, but the more time you spend with children, you know that they, they are sinners from day one. Psalm 51 says this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David knew that from day one, there was no such thing as um, an age of accountability. That's why we're so desperate to get our children before Jesus. It's because they're sinners. They're not innocent. Um, you know, I asked Natalie the other day, what was it that Frazier first did that showed that he really needs God's grace? And, you know, she pointed to a few things. One of them was when, you know, we, um, you know he, he didn't get what he wanted, and he had this cry. And it wasn't just a pitiful cry. It was an angry cry. <laughs> you know, when we didn't give him some food, that he, he's all good. And he just bursts out and throws some, throws his passing across the room. So, if it's not innocence, what is it that we need to see in children? What do we really need to imitate from them? It's their helplessness, it's their dependency, it's their trust. Children are helpless. Notice how they come into the world. Naked and needy. They're completely dependent upon mom and dad for every aspect of life. They can't get from here to there without being carried. We see that in our passage. The parents are carrying <laughs> in their children to Jesus. They can't, they're can't. they unable to come on their own. And then listen to their cries. You know, every cry that comes, you know... Piercing out of that child's mouth is a cry that says, help me, feed me, love me. I need you, hold me. They can't say it yet, but, but that's what those cries are saying. And then just watch what a little toddler does when he sees something scary. When you know a dog comes in barking, a little toddler will run to mom or run to dad and, and throw their arms around uh, mom or dad's leg and, and, and pull him, you know, lift me up. Desperate neediness. Notice what you don't see with children. You don't see a child bragging about their resume. You don't see those appeals to self-sufficiency. You don't see a child comparing themselves with others. You know what you don't hear from children? The humble brags that just permeate the adult world. It's not until grown-ups, you know, that I don't know when it is, maybe teenage years, but you, there's a time when uh, that, that just sets in when a child will move towards adulthood and suddenly they say, mom and dad, stop, I've I got this covered, I don't need your help, I've got it, and then the rest of adulthood is just a perpetual living out of that. I've got this, don't help me, I'm good, I'm worthy, I don't need you. Children, we look at them and they are dependent and needy and trusting. Now, isn't that picture of a child a stunning picture of how we come to God in the gospel? We come naked and needy, nothing to offer, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I claim. And our, the only cry that comes from our mouth as we receive the gospel is, God, be merciful to me. The same cry of that tax collector. You know that tax collector in the uh, the passage two weeks ago? He was like a child before God. God, I have nothing. I need you. It's the Pharisee who was like the grown-up. I've got this, God. Look at my resume. Look at how much better I am than everyone else. I'm worthy. What's the cry of your heart? Have you made that childlike cry to God? God, I need you. I need you. I I can't do anything without you. I can't come to Christ without you. You know, I have theory as to why we struggle with with, with welcoming children. I don't think it's just a theory. I think it's actually grounded in the scriptures and in the realities that we see, we've just heard about in our text. Why is it that we struggle with welcoming children? Why is it that we struggle with getting low and talking to them? Well, I think it's because we believe deep down that we're somehow beyond them. We believe that we can help ourselves. We believe that we have something to offer God. But here's what we... We've got to start to see we are much more like children than unlike them. We are way more like that little, you know, uh, sleeping infant than we're unlike them. And we don't like that. Because why? Because we pretend we're competent and self-sufficient. We pretend that we're powerful and put together. And Jesus comes and says, no, you aren't. You aren't. And you know what you have to do to enter my kingdom? You have to be born again. You have to become like a little child. There is no growing up into the kingdom of God. There's only growing down, becoming like a child. And it's only when we start to see ourselves like that, desperate for the gospel, needy, saying, Lord, I have no righteousness to bring. I have no clothes. I come into the world needy and desperate. I need your righteousness, Christ. I need your work on the cross when we say that, that we can really start to love our little ones and welcome them. Because we'll see in them a picture of us, desperate, needy, but looking with wonder and awe and excitement and freshness with a God who lavishes us with His grace. A loving Father who feeds us by His very Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Father, give us that grace, that grace that we need. Show us our neediness. Make us like little children. And Lord, as you do that, help us to be a church that welcomes children and loves them. Thank you for the picture in this text of a Savior who did that and did that perfectly. We pray this all in Christ's name come to the time of the Lord's Supper. It was on the night in which Christ was betrayed that he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What we have in this supper before us is a picture of what it looks like to become children in the kingdom of God, coming needy and desperate, And saying, God, feed me by your grace. We have before us a picture and a pledge of what Christ Jesus did on the cross. He broke his body. He poured out his blood so that you and I can come to the table. Children.